It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. Welcome back, everyone. This is Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. Thanks for joining us on Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio on a Friday. Hope you're having a good one out there. We have a lot of ground to cover in the next hour and 10 minutes until we pass it off to Jeff Kaplan. And uh, we were talking earlier uh, about the the budget deal that was passed in the House that will come before the Senate, I think, early next week. And all that is wrong with that. Uh, and I thought, you know, who better to turn to in this situation than my good friend James Walner? Uh, James Walner is a senior fellow at R Street, uh, used to be part of the Senate staff uh, there on the steering committee, was the director uh, for the steering committee, and uh, just one of the great thinkers and all-around good guys in Washington. James, thanks for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. All right. Hey, you wrote a column that originally appeared in the Washington Examiner uh, talking about uh, you were talking about the budget deal that was going down. Uh, we heard Leon Panetta today even said this is uh, this is not to be applauded as bipartisanship. This is broken government. And I know we don't we don't often agree with Leon Panetta, but uh, we we did today. But all of this led you to to make the statement that for Republicans, life was actually better when they were in the minority and Harry Reid, the Democrat, was in charge. Tell us why. It's striking, isn't it? Uh, but if you look at uh, at life under Harry Reid and life under Mitch McConnell in the United States Senate, the, the numbers don't lie. Uh, and if you look at the number of amendment votes that, that Republicans have had, if you look at the number of amendments that Republicans have proposed, they proposed more on average and got more votes on their amendments under Reid than, again, under McConnell. So the numbers just don't lie. And so that led me to the conclusion that, you know, if, if, if Republicans want to offer amendments again, maybe they should ask Harry Reid to come back. Yeah. And let's 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 break that down just a little bit, uh, just for the uh, the non wonks that are, are listening today. Uh, when we talk about you, you have a core bill that usually comes out of some committee uh, and then often members on both sides of the aisle will want to amend something or tweak something or tighten up something. Maybe there's a loophole. Um, and so what you're saying is that we're not even getting votes on any kind of tweaking or so there's really no legislating, debating or compromising going on. These are sort of all or nothing votes. Is that right? That's correct. There's no tweaking anymore. There's no compromise, uh, at least on the floor of the Senate. There's no legislative debate, as your listeners will think of it. Senators are there for one purpose only these days, it appears, and that is to cast up or down votes on final passage on legislation that they have, with which they have been confronted by their leaders and their committee chairman and uh, the House leaders and the president. We often characterize that when I was back there as the uh, the fake fight followed by the false choice, and the false choice is either this all-encompassing big budget that's you know going to bankrupt us, or you know you you hate children and uh, you know the most vulnerable among us, and and those are just not the real options, are they? No, they're not. I mean, look, you could have 
they have known this has been coming for a very long time. And the idea that they don't have time for senators to offer amendments, to have different alternatives, to propose their own ideas, to adjudicate the concerns of their constituents, which incidentally is why they're there. Uh, the idea that, that they don't have enough time for all that is laughable. I mean, they have time. And if they allowed for that time, if they allowed during that time for these kinds of debates to happen, I guess my suspicion is that they would pass legislation rather easily. I may not always like the legislation, but again, that's the way it works in America. Um, so the idea, as you say, that this, the idea that this is the only way it can happen. Well, it may be the only way this particular version can happen. But last time I checked, no one seems to be particularly happy with the legislation that's passing these days. So maybe it's time to go back to what we used to do. Yeah, to, to actually have debate and amendment and, and compromise. Uh, I interviewed uh, Joe Lieberman a few months ago, and he, he talked about this wonderful principle of the, the integrity of compromise and that there really is a way that it's not just being squishy and selling out. The selling out happens when you don't have the conversation. Correct. I mean, because the process is a way to reconcile the losers in the outcome or the losers of the debate to the outcome. And the best way to do that is if you allow for them to have an opportunity to offer amendments so that they can see where and how far they can go and what you can change in the bill. And when you lose, you lose. And then you make a decision. Do I like the bill as it stands? Maybe not all of it. But do I like enough of it to vote on it and to have a, a kind of pass it? And then you own that vote. And you go to your constituents and you say, I tried. I tried to do X, Y, and Z. And here's how and when I tried to do it. And they can look at it and they can see. And you said, and after I failed on, and after that wasn't enough, then I decided to make the difficult choice to vote for the bill. So you own it. There's a certain amount of integrity there. Mm. And then you have a compromise that's durable, whereas today everyone's a victim. Everyone says, well, I don't like this, but I have no choice. Right. And so you have these compromises that are that 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 lack integrity in the sense of that no one wants to stand up and support them because they're being forced to do them by circumstances that they themselves control. Oh, I'm I'm so glad you you raised that. If you're just joining us, we've got uh, James Walner, one of the great thinkers, uh, former director of the steering committee uh, in the United States Senate. Uh, and I'm so glad you you raised this uh, thing that so many politicians, again, on both sides of the aisle, when when citizens hear the words, I had no choice, I had no choice but to vote for this. That's that is the red flag of all red flags. Because what it really means is they didn't do their, they didn't even try to do their job, um, because it it's not it it's never the choice of well I ha I had no choice I had to do this or shut down the government I had to do this or you know not give funding for you know children with cancer uh, that's rarely the case isn't it right a hundred percent and and look even if we just think back to our you know our our freshman year philosophy course in college. I don't know if people still take philosophy in college, but even in that, even in voting, yes, that's a choice. You're, you're making a choice, as the, fr the French existentialists would say. You're choosing to vote for that piece of legislation in those circumstances. And so, you know, the idea that they are without choice, that they are victims, these senators today, again, doesn't make much sense. It's nonsense. And I think that the American people look at that and they scratch their heads and they're wondering, well, you, you had a choice and you, and you made it. And you should own up to that choice. And you should tell me why that choice is a good one. Yeah, that's it. And if I don't like that, 
then I can choose to vote for someone else. And that's how the process works. That's how it's supposed to work. That's how it's supposed to work. <laughs> and, we, yeah. and, we have, and we've got to get back to that. Uh, again, if you're just joining us, we've got uh, James Walner on the line from uh, R Street. And uh, uh, James, uh, we've got just about a minute or so to go here. And uh, part of your article dives into you know how the Republicans talked about how awful all of the things that Harry Reid was doing as the majority leader uh, only to find that, you know, Mitch McConnell was going to double down on everything Harry Reid did and actually make it worse for Republicans in terms of, of votes. But but don't you think part of this is is twofold? One, uh, no one wants to be held accountable for their vote. And two, I don't think that Washington, we always talk about uh, politicians saying, hey, just trust me, just trust me. Uh, we got to get Washington to trust the people to say, oh, I see why they made that compromise or they made that deal. Is that where we need to get? Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. And they and we need Washington to trust itself. That sounds like an odd thing to mm. say. But they need to have faith in the process that, that we have been following since, you know, at least, you know, 1789, if not before, and how to make collective decisions in this country. You know, and, they, and this idea that somehow you can only make these tough decisions when no one gets involved. And no controversy is allowed to in- intervene is is not is very un-American, and it's not the way that we've done things. And so, yes, you're absolutely right. We need we need senators and we need House members to say, "Look, I'm going to cast votes," and the process of casting those votes is going to ultimately lead to an outcome, and it's going to be a good outcome, no matter what happens, right? And you fight as hard as you can for the outcome you want. You try to persuade your fellow members. You try to persuade your constituents and the American people. And if you lose, you lose, and you come back the next day, and you try even harder. Yeah. But that's the way it ultimately ought to work, and that's the way it doesn't work today. Yeah, and that's exactly what we've got to get to. We've, we've got to expect more. We can't accept all of these excuses. James Walner, one of the great thinkers in Washington, D.C., senior fellow at R Street. Uh, as always, James, thanks for joining us and giving us uh, a little perspective in terms of how things should work in Washington. Thank you for having me. All right. Again, that's James Walner from R Street. A great, great thinker. Uh, when we come back after the top of the hour news break, uh, we're going to be joined by Dr. David Bob from the Bill of Rights Institute. Lots to talk about with Dr. Bob, another great thinker, the author of Humility, uh, an uncommon virtue or an unexpected virtue in the United States of America. So don't go anywhere. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.